honestly was at my, I don't know what to do. My wife's pregnant, going off to work. I don't know what to do. I don't have a job because I had to leave. It was just too stressful for me. And I just really, you know, again, go, you go back to my 14 year old making a promise of what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to set myself up for success with my kids. And here, I don't even have a job and my wife's going off and she's pregnant. And so it was a, a gut punch for me. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. As kids, a lot of us vow to never be like our parents. We want to learn from their mistakes and do things differently and improve the formula for raising good humans. But that's easier said than done. Coming out of a grueling job with no backup plan, Rob Kenny felt unsure about his ability to be a family man. In the back of his mind, he recalled his wish to provide a secure home environment for his kids and felt that he was miles away from this vision. Fast forward to 2022, and we could hardly believe that Rob had doubts about being a good father. Mainly because, well, he's become the internet's dad. Starting his YouTube channel, Dad How Do I, during the early months of the pandemic, Rob Kenny has since garnered 4 million subscribers with his straightforward tutorials and kind, instructive demeanor. Much like his videos, Rob's mantra is simple but packed with meaning. He emphasizes the importance of sticking by your values in tough times and following through on your mission statement. Not just for yourself, but for the people who depend on you. After all, he remembers what it was like to feel stranded without friends and without a father. Could you take me back to uh, when you were around uh, 12, um, uh, when you were when your parents actually separated? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to be fair, my parents started out really well. Uh, I always feel like I want to say that. And then also not to jump ahead, but at the very end, you know, um, I reconciled with my dad. Yeah. So um, I'm one of eight kids and um, I'm number seven. And uh, by the time uh, I was born, I was actually born in New Orleans. Our family started out in Wichita. The first six kids were born in Kansas. And then we moved to, to um, New Orleans where I was born. And then we moved up here two years later up to Seattle because um, my dad worked for Boeing. And we kind of followed Boeing um, and Boeing dried up in Wichita. And then he went to New Orleans for the space program and then came up here for the 747. All that to say, I think it took a toll on my mom. And um, so she she got uprooted from her family because she was one of 12. And I think she pictured herself, you know, raising our her kids with all of her siblings, kids and us kind of being one big community. And that didn't happen. And so it really took a toll on my mom. And so my mom turned to, to alcohol. She she struggled with anxiety. And I've been open about my struggle with anxiety, too, because I want to expose that and um, encourage people and destigmatize it because of how it affected my mom. My mom didn't get good help. It was back in the 70s. How did that show up for you when like you were a kid? Like, do you remember like any any things that when you were growing up like, oh, like this movie, like something's wrong? Yeah, there was some tough times. Uh, I could definitely tell that something was wrong. And you know, when you're a kid, you're just, you're a kid, <laughs> you know, and then you, uh, oh, wait a second. Um, this isn't normal. Uh, normal, you know, what is normal? But uh, there were some things that were pretty dysfunctional going on in our family. 
Uh, and then, yeah, when I was 12, 13, 12 or 13 years old, um, my dad got custody of us. They, they separated and my dad got custody of us, but he didn't really want us. I think he felt like it was the right thing to do. But, and my mom wasn't allowed to even come around. Um, he got a restraining order. What did you think of that growing up? Like, like as a kid? You know, honestly, it was embarrassing. Um, our house was a little bit of a chaos, chaos, you know, chaotic. People would say, hey, uh, you know, come over to my house. Oh, yeah, I'll come over to your house sometime. Uh, I don't really want you coming over to my house because it's, uh, you know, it's embarrassing. So when did your dad, like, I guess, take a further step back? It's interesting because I think, um, you know, our bodies are, uh, and our minds are pretty amazing because they protect us from, <laughs> from certain trauma that you go through. And so I feel like I remember it, but I also, I don't know if I really remember it the exact time, but I, I, in my mind, I think I remember where he came home and we were all around and I think there was some sort of birthday party going on. And he, that's when he just basically said, you know, I'm done raising kids. Um, the older kid, older siblings are going to have to take the younger ones in or they're going to foster care. Yeah. So how, like, what were the next steps? Like what did your older siblings do? Yeah. Thankfully my brother Rick stepped up. He's nine years older than me. And he took me in him and his wife. He was a newlywed at that time. And they had, um, had plans for the future, you know, they're, you know, at the time I thought they were, old, I guess. But, um, you know, my brother was 23 and my <laughs> sister-in-law was 24. You know, they're just kids. My son's 27 and I can't imagine him having a, a teenager moving in with him. Uh, so, you know, it's all, all relative, I guess. But they're both him and his wife, great people, and they're uh, mature beyond their years. And they took me in. We lived in a I always have called it a mobile home, um, but it really was uh, a glorified trailer. It was an eight by 35 trailer. And my brother built a shelf in the back of the trailer. And that's where I slept. I guess maybe can you like lead me up to uh, when you were about to have your own children? Cause you, you had a career at Boeing. You also were working at this like audio visual rental business. Um, and so if you could like quickly lead me up to, um, uh, what was happening when your, your wife was pregnant? Yeah, that was tough. So I, uh, I worked at Boeing for a time and that's where I met my wife, Anna Lee, and we, uh, we hit it off really well. And, um, but then I, I was struggling with, uh, I, cause I didn't have a college degree. I left college early and so I didn't have the degree and Boeing really looks heavy on the degree. And so I wasn't moving up fast enough. I, well, let me rephrase that. I actually moved up pretty fast, but the money wasn't coming. Um, so they were promoting me. And then I ended up being a lead of nine people and people with degrees working under me. And I was fixing their work and they were making twice as much as me. And so I I couldn't just... <laughs> how is that fair? How, how does that make it sense? It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It's just an old school mentality of, you know, you, you need the education. Um, that's how Boeing, you know. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it was very frustrating for me. Did you ever talk to like management oh, yeah. about that, or like like this guy is doing less work and like worse work than me, and is getting twice my pay? Like like I was what fixing his work because we were doing digital wiring diagrams, and he would do the diagram, and then I'd run a program that would check it, and then I'd have to log in 
fix his work and I was making half of it what he was making and so that didn't sit well with me and I was like I, I gotta look for something else so yeah I, I did try to talk to management but there's so much red tape at Boeing you know on a big company like that they do things a certain way <laughs> you know thankfully we've come a long ways since then because that was you know the late 80s so what did you look for instead yeah there was a lady that I worked with that her husband um, was doing this audiovisual um, company and he you know they talked about long hours and stuff but big payoff at the end and it started off that well and or that way and then it uh, it turned south pretty quick um, without getting into details it was not good and I finally had to just leave and that's um, when I actually that's it was a turning point in my life because I ended up becoming a, a Christian um, at that time because I cried out and I was <laughs> honestly was at my I don't know what to do my wife's pregnant going off to work I don't know what to do I don't have a job because I had to leave it was just too stressful for me and I just really you know again go you go back to my 14 year old making a promise of what I'm going to do you know I'm going to set myself up for success with my kids and here I don't even have a job and my wife's going off and she's pregnant and so it was a, a gut punch for me and so as a skeptic, I, cry, I, I was raised, um, I went to Catholic school when I was little. And I, you know, when I went away to college, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't continue that. Let's keep it that way, where I just kind of did whatever I wanted, you know. And so from a skeptic's perspective, I cried out um, to God and I feel like he answered my prayer. And so that changed the direction of, of my life and the doors started opening. And um, there was an issue with my daughter possibly having down syndrome and uh and that was a it's like oh my goodness my all these things that i've built are kind of coming um <laughs> where they're out of my control and i'm floundering here and things kind of started falling into place what were you most worried about happening well i think uh without having the parental support you know uh like with my kids I tell them to take risks, you know, we got gotcha. you, you go out and take risks, um, where I always felt like we, my wife or myself don't really have the, or didn't have the parental support behind us to kind of undergird you. If you fell on your face, where would I go? You know, I have friends and stuff, but that's, you know, you'd have to humble yourself and go find ways to, to work around it. So what did you start to do to, I guess, like create some, more solidity. Things started working out and my daughter ended up being healthy and my uh, I found a job that um, in sales, uh, which is funny because I'm a bit of an introvert. Uh, <laughs> so, but I was desperate and I was like, oh, uh, it was a company that I actually worked at out of high school, um, Olympic Office Supply. They're no longer in business, but then uh, they said, we don't have a job for you, but we will, uh, we create a job. We'll, if you want to get into sales, we'll, we're willing to take a chance on you. I'm like, I'll take it. I just need, <laughs> I need work. And so, yeah. And then it ended up working out. Okay. You made this promise to yourself when you were 14, like I'm going to be a good father. So what are the frameworks that you created for yourself 
to do that effectively. One thing that's popped into my head with this whole dad, how do I thing was I'm, I'm encouraging people. Like you said, with my channel, I want to encourage and empower other people. And so on this side of raising kids, I, if I had it to do differently, I would have written a mission statement. I try to encourage people, write a mission statement because you, when you hold your baby for the first time, you make all kinds of promises. We, you know, we all tend to make promises, but hold yourself accountable to those promises. What were the promises you made? I mean, those were in my head. I didn't do <laughs> I didn't do it, but now, you know, with clarity, I've been able to say when things get tough, you, you do whatever you can. Because when you are holding them, you're like, oh, I'm going to do everything I can for you. I'll, you know, I'll be there for you. I'll listen to you. Just all those different things. Um, and I'll make sacrifices for you because you are what's important to me. And I want to pour into your life. And I, I think I did that with my career. I was never about upward mobility. I didn't want to be a manager. I didn't want, I wanted, I loved the freedom of sales because uh, it worked well with my my kids and I was decently successful at it so that it also helped pay for things but I wasn't trying to be super wealthy that was never a goal of mine are there like two and two or three moments before your kids went off to college that you feel like really shaped you as as a father my daughter went close by so it wasn't as big a deal I honestly when they moved away it sticks out more in my head because both of them went to school close by I'm close enough within driving distance you know if had they moved to to Florida to go to school or something that would have been difficult but when my daughter moved away she got married right out of college uh, met a great guy and they're still married they uh, they moved away to Knoxville when they were like 24 uh, and I encouraged it though, um, and, but I was crying, you know, my wife and I both were crying, like this is ripping my heart out that you're gonna be so far away, but good for you. When you were officially an empty nester, uh, do you remember like any kind of feeling overcoming you? Definitely did, and I share that in my book. Honestly, I was a little bit lost, and I hate to say that because I'm sure everybody at some point feels a little bit lost when and you hear a bit about midlife crisis and, and that sort of thing. But I think mine was a little bit different because my goal, my goal in my life was to raise good adults. I didn't have goals beyond that. I had none. Uh, and so I had to kind of reinvent myself because I was like, okay, this was my goal, and I feel like it's done. But I'm still fairly young, you know, I'm in my 50s. I had to kind of, and, and I was grappling with that. And we went to Rome in 2019 and I was pondering that because you go there and Rome was once an amazing city, still an amazing city, but don't get me wrong. But if you go there and you see all the ruins, it's like these were powerful people that were here and they're no longer here. It's interesting because I was kind of pondering that. What kind of legacy am I leaving? You know, I, I got my legacy of my two kids. I'm proud of that. But it, um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting how this kind of all came together with that. How do I? Because I, I feel I'm so blessed to be able to have this legacy to pass along um, to the next generation uh, on such a bigger scale than just my own kids. When you were thinking about what your legacy, what like the legacy of this, this second chapter of your life would be, what were you thinking that it would be? Because like did you have any idea of what you wanted it to be what you wanted it to look like I didn't like? know no it's just it was honestly it was sad to me to see uh to see that can you tell me a little bit about how your your daughter was encouraging you to take up youtube yeah, Christine is quite the encourager. And so she was telling me, because I, I, it's something I actually thought of. And I pictured, you know, I had the name, Dad, how do I? But I also shared with her that I didn't want to just be pigeonholed to just, you know, 
running around fixing things, I wanted to be able to share my heart too. And so I'm so grateful that my that people, my subscribers have responded to that. I have dad chats, I've read children's books, cooking, I've done all kinds of different things now that I never, never thought I'd be doing. How did you decide to first take a stab at like recording something. Yeah, so that was a little awkward, but uh, I, you know, I was locked up during the pandemic like everybody else and I didn't know what I was doing. And I actually used my cell phone and I still use my cell phone, but I, I took a cell phone and I holder that I had for my car with a suction cup on it. And I suction cupped that to my mirror in my bathroom when I, and I showed how to tie a tie. That was the, the first video that I had. And so when you uploaded that first video, what were your expectations? I stick with this. I've said 30 or 40 people. I thought I was just going to have a nice tight community um, and, you know, maybe get to 100. It took a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. And I was already up to up to 300 and I was and I shared it with my daughter. I'm like, I can't believe that this is kind of resonating. So you started taking requests from your audience. When did things like hit another inflection point? It was about May 18th or so. Uh, Reddit got a hold of it and somebody posted it on TikTok and then somebody posted it on Facebook. Yeah, it was on Twitter. Uh, so somehow it got just went ballistic. As an introvert, the next few weeks were really kind of terrifying for me because I, my face was everywhere. Um, I I didn't do this to become famous or switch jobs. or And so I had no foundation for a, or a plan. I just was trying to help people. I felt like my privacy was a little, <laughs> a little bit exposed. You know, suddenly my face is out there and that's not, you know, uh, it's not something I was craving. Um, I've, I've got my feet under me now, you know, to over two years in to where I'm good with it. Uh, and I'm grateful that I went viral for something um, wholesome and helpful as as the channel got more and more subscribers like i think six months after launching the channel you had 2.8 million subscribers so as you're reaching millions and millions of, of of people did you rethink about like rethink how you wanted to to move forward right like like you have this this these thoughts in rome of like okay what do i want this this second chapter of my life to look like and it seems like it's like, okay, like here is a potential opportunity on a silver platter. What, what, what do I make of, of it and, and how do I dig into it? It's, yeah. <laughs> I hate to say this, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty conservative. And so, uh, I'm still working, um, because I still, you know, uh, we're 58 and I had planned on retiring at 60. We were aiming for 60 to retire a little bit early. Um, and, but I am trying to yeah, so it, there's a tension there. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what to do, but I it I did have an epiphany recently where I was I was planning to retire at 60 and I think we were on track to do that. But then had I retired at 60 from my job and I didn't have that, how do I I would be cutting off all income and then I'd just have to rely on the money that we had. Uh whereas with this I'll probably do this into my 70s, right? I'll be grandpa, how do I, or <laughs> or what have you, great grandpa. Because uh, really it's it's fun and I enjoy it. And if it also, you know, I, I would like to travel and I think I could also do that with my channel where I could show you how to how to go to certain places that, I, that we've been um, and how we do it. Uh, so I think there, I think it, now that I finally understood that, uh, I'm a little closer to leaving. I still haven't, <laughs> I haven't announced it to my work, so I got to be careful what I say, but, uh, 
I I have yeah understood that I think it's here to stay. You know, it's two over two years now. Uh, you know, the scary thing with the internet is you see stuff come and go, and I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to. Okay, I'm going all in. Oh, whoops. Uh, you know, um, now I'm. 57 trying to figure things out you know i am 58 now turn 58 in may uh we're that much closer to 60 i think the jumping off point is a little bit closer yeah and i think i mean i think that's really exciting and i think you <laughs> well, you can do this um, <laughs> yeah into whatever age yeah. you want so uh i i i think building the the dad how do i uh channels or spin-off channels like could be massively impactful for um for a lot of people so what do you see as the, as the future of the channel what are you most excited for yeah uh, like i said the traveling thing i think that that plays right into we want to travel anyway you know we had planned to uh, when we retire to go travel we've been trying to travel before we retire but finally got uh uh that's going to be happening and actually i have a new video actually coming out today um where i'm going to start uh i'm going to have you watch me learn things because i my nephew um is a very he's very good at oil painting and i've never oil painted in my life i have now because i um, recorded this so I, I it's called dad learns to oil paint is this one and i'm going to start a series where i'm going to learn show you me learning things where i don't know how to do things because people have said that dad what don't you know how to do because i you know i've tried to open myself up to learning. I want to know, you know, why not live your life that way where I'll, I'll try that, I'll try that. And so I think it'll be a kind of a fun series that'll, but I'll also still continue the rest of my stuff, but you'll get to see me learning. I want to learn how to fly fish. I've never done that before. I've fished before, but I don't know how to fly fish. And so I thought it'll be fun. It'll be fun for me, whether people enjoy it or not. Uh, we'll see. So what do you think, you know, with this, with this journey, um, uh, that we've gone over, like, what do you think your biggest learning lesson has been that you, you know, wish people would know uh, either about fatherhood or about uh, creating like this, this, this channel going into content? Like, what do you think your biggest learning lesson has been from this journey? Uh, that's a tough one to just say the biggest, but um, some big things that I've learned. Yeah, the one that I can think of off the top of my head is, uh, you know, again, I've always kind of considered myself an introvert so I've kind of kept to myself and now that I've kind of put myself out there I think that's part of the charm I think of <laughs> people are kind of on this living vicariously through me as I'm going and interview you know interviewed Kevin Hart and I've met Lester Holt and I've you know talked to all kinds of famous people and uh, I think people again are living vicariously through me because this wasn't intentional and it's happening and so look at dad you know dad's out there so I, I think that, that that that's part of the charm but I also think that you know I think a lot of us have gifts that we're hiding you know and that's what I found with this is I feel like I have a bit of a gift to be able to share with people and and people said oh I wish you would have done this sooner you know, I, I wish I would have done it sooner too. Um, and I think there's probably lots of people that are hiding their gifts because they, oh, what do people think? Oh, you know, all that, all the different th reasons why or we procrastinate. Uh, I would encourage people to to try to live a, <laughs> a life that's a little more risky with, you know, calculated risk, I guess, uh, where you, you know, some people 
yeah, maybe go too far with the risk and then it blows up on them. Yeah, I think you got to be careful there, but I also want to encourage people to put themselves out there because that's what I've done. And I've tried to say, yes, I've got, now I've just had, <laughs> this is so ironic. So I just got contacted about a, um, a company that wants to pitch me for um, paid speaking engagements. And I shared in my book that <laughs> I'm a person that has avoided speaking engagements my whole life. I, I you know, I'll, I'll take the zero. I'll do whatever to to not <laughs> have to speak in front of people. And so it's a, li- a bit ironic that now, and I said, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, yes, I, I said yes, because uh, you only live once. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and do it. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Nay P. Cannon, Sophia Donner, David Saidi, Ashley Jimenez, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Cherise Tan, Harushi Kanauchi, Kristen Hagelin, Aya Cortez, and Valencia Lu. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Aiden Ashworth, Nikki McCullough, Sophie Wong, and Eric Menno. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Tiffany Dang. And Dina Gabriel. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.